take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Welcome to our latest episode of Field Preachers. You're about to hear a podcast that I recorded before the outbreak of COVID-19. It feels like decades ago, right? But just in February of this year, I was in Baltimore talking to Scott Schaefer, who is a pastor and planter in Western Pennsylvania. Um, And while, yes, the message is before the pandemic, and it feels like so, so much has changed when it comes to ministry, the principles that Scott shares really aren't all that different. And they're ones that I encourage you to listen to, to take to heart. He talks about the importance of listening to community and what it meant for him in his church context to listen to his community, which led to the formation of Roots of Faith, which is like a church and also kind of a nonprofit that does anti-poverty work, Bible studies, health clinics, um, and he'll also talk about Connect Church. Anyways, tons of really, really great information. And just the whole idea of a cooperative parish is something I think we really need to embrace as United Methodists, especially during this time of COVID, when we're all stressed out, we're overwhelmed, trying to do hybrid church in person and digital stuff can just lead to burnout out so quickly. So what would happen if we found three other church planters and each of us picked a Sunday a month to to do a really high quality, beautiful, passionate, focused, intense worship experience. And then we shared it with all four of those church plants together. It would be a way of lightening our load, but also reminding everybody in the virtual space that we're in this together and that um, together we are stronger. So anyways, um, listen to what Scott has to say. Stop listening to me. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to join us on this Field Preacher journey. Hi, and welcome to our latest edition of Field Preachers. This is Rachel Gilmore, the Director of Training, Recruiting, and Assessing at Path One for Church Planting in the United Methodist Church, here sitting live. I don't always get to do this. Sometimes it's via Zoom, but I am in Baltimore, Maryland. We just came from dinner at Lovely Lane, and I'm sitting with Scott Schaefer. So um, we met... How many years ago was it? Ooh, that's a tough question. 2015 at Order of the Flame. At Order of the Flame. Brunswick, Georgia. What is the island called? Yeah, St. Simon's. Simon's Island. That was an interesting. I had no idea what that was going to be Spanish about. Spanish moth. Moss. It was a gorgeous setting. Pan Methodist Gathering. AME, AMEZ, CME, UMC, other that acronyms. I that. I love that. That was amazing. Um yeah, still processing that event in some ways, uh, but it was it was a blessing that came from it was meeting you. So um, tell me a little bit about yourself. How long? Wh- what's your annual conference and what is your relationship to or interaction with church planting in the UMC? All right. So again, my name is Scott Schaefer. I'm a elder in the Western Pennsylvania Annual Conference. And uh, whenever I met Rachel at the time, I was uh, pretty shortly out of seminary. We we're both Duke grads. Uh, Go Duke. Um, And uh, coming out of seminary, I uh, went to a uh, rural small town called Blairsville, Pennsylvania, about an hour east of Pittsburgh. And the uh, district superintendent said, you're going to a uh, small a uh, single point uh, charge. Uh, there's a three point charge in the community around Blairsville. And uh, we'd like for you to just, you know, do good ministry there, but explore possibly planting a church. So they planted a seed. Uh, the district superintendent who was outgoing had been planting the seed for like 15 years. And so it was finally uh, time for us to, to take some action. 
Um, so, uh, so I was involved in a church plant there. Would you like to hear that story a little bit? I would love to hear all about it. All right. Uh, so, uh, from my perspective, I got there and spent the first year focused on Blairsville First United Methodist Church and, uh, doing what you might call revitalization, also called learning how to be a pastor. When you're first out of seminary. (laughs) And I spent uh, a year uh, really focused on uh, that congregation, building relationships, getting some outreach ministry going, Uh, getting to know the other pastor, uh, Brett Dinger, who had been there for, I think, four years before me in that community. Yeah. So we got to know each other um, and uh, and started getting to know each other's churches. And so then uh, my second year, we developed a cooperative parish, uh, dusted off Book of Discipline, paragraph 206. And Tell me more. What for people who are like, what on earth is a cooperative parish? What does that mean? So a cooperative parish is a uh, Methodist polity option uh, for allowing multiple pastors to serve multiple churches. Uh, so a, a multi-point charge is far more common. One pastor serving multiple churches, um, but a cooperative parish is a group of churches that, ha- at a minimum, they are sharing clergy, but ideally, they're sharing ministry and a shared vision for their community. Wow. Yeah. How did that work? So, uh, you know, we just kind of started slow talking to our leaders, talking about what could we do together that we couldn't do separately. Uh, we kind of identified some areas of ministry that the churches would love to get involved in. Uh, for example, there was a uh, automotive technical school uh, called WyoTech where students came in for 18 months and then they were gone. Um, but it was just this aspect of the community, a group that nobody was reaching. Uh, so we hired a campus minister. Uh, put him on the staff of the cooperative parish. So that gave him some support and uh, other ministries, youth ministry, addiction recovery. And ultimately we moved into a storefront space out on the highway and uh, developed a vision for a new worshiping community called connect church. And, um, and then uh, right uh, after I left for a new appointment, uh, they launched a weekly worshiping community. So it's a worshiping community, but with a strong emphasis on addiction recovery ministry and, some other ministries. So is it typical for cooperative parishes to launch a weekly worshiping community outside of the existing church facilities? Uh, no, Sounds this unique to me. Yeah, this was very, very unusual. Um, so it was really a church planting strategy. Um, but the idea was that you had um, a couple of younger clergy who were to some extent interested in church planting. And uh, we were able to both, um, you know, focus on the local church, but also give some of our time, both of us toward this. Um, that's one thing I would say has been really unique about both of my appointments. Um, I really value team ministry and two pastors who each have very different gifts, but complement each other. And I don't think either of us could have planted by ourselves. Um, but together we were able to, um, do the administrative side, financial side, um, also relationship building evangelism, everything you need. Wow. So why do you think United Methodists claiming that we are a connectional system, right? Mm-hmm. We always hear that term and that we work together, that we're, you know, one body, one family, one denomination. Uh, you know, we'll see what the future holds with that. But yeah. why don't we see more of these cooperative parishes or team based pastoral approaches in general? I I really don't know. Um, I remember going on a Wesley Heritage tour, which, uh, by the way, Rachel and I are here on a American Methodism pilgrimage. Woo-hoo! 
Woo! First of its kind. First of its kind, and we're at the end of it, and it's been a wonderful trip, and inspiring in similar ways, actually, to learn from our history, and maybe some things that we've forgotten that can be, Mm. uh, you know, taken off the shelf and dusted up. And uh, the British Methodist uh, circuit system really seems to have persisted throughout history, and so um, each of their circuits has the benefit of having uh, one elder who has the the role of leadership, administration, overseeing the other elders, um, but then they are far more active in each other's churches, balancing out each other's gifts. And um, so I think that 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 will be one way that our existing Methodist structures can move to the future, doing more innovative ministry, bridging existing structures to new things. And uh, Connect Church has been worshiping, I believe, now for uh, four years. Wow. Yeah. And it's uh, still going strong. Um, The attendance is not overwhelming, uh, maybe about 40 people at Connect Church. And uh, my current appointment uh, also uh, has a a new worshiping community. Would you like to hear about that? You just have church planting in your blood, (laughs) starting new things, innovation. So yes, please tell me about it. So I like starting new things, but I don't think I ever thought I would be doing church planting. Um, (laughs) So when you're young and in the United Methodist Church, um, you just kind of find people looking at you saying, maybe you could do this. Um, You're under 40. I think you could reach young people. Go. That's geez. right. Go for it. Um, but I'm, I'm glad actually that they saw some gifts in me that I didn't see. And, and it's been exciting to be a part of new ministries. So our um, uh, bishop uh, decided to move um both of the pastors who were involved in the church plants in, in two church plants in our conference in the same year. So I went from connect church in Blairsville, uh, to faith United Methodist church and the, uh, outreach ministry called roots of faith. So our story is that, um, our school district and, and spell roots for our listeners. So yes. R O O T S like roots of a tree in Western R-O-O-T-S. Pennsylvania. We also say root if it's like root eight, which is the highway I grew up on. Um, R O U T E. So anyway, um, Faith Church, um, our our school district has a really high economic disparity. Uh, so we're in a, a very wealthy community, but within the same school district, there's a very low income community. So um, w- uh, Fox Chapel has an average income of 160000 a year. Uh, Sharpsburg has average income of 30000 a year. Uh, so really big difference. And um, the pastor before me discerned this call to just go begin prayer walking. And the congregation uh, went and prayer walked and just got to meet these um, people in Sharpsburg who many of them had lived in Fox Chapel their whole lives and never walked the streets of Sharpsburg. Out of those relationships came a community dinner, monthly community dinner at the senior center, um, open to the whole community called the Neighborhood Table. And that continues to this day. It's now every Thursday. Uh, one week is a Presbyterian congregation. Uh, one is another Methodist congregation. One is the Jewish synagogue that provides wow. dinner. And uh, then we also have different clinics. So one night is a medical clinic. Another is a legal clinic. Another is a financial clinic. So they provide these sort of one-time services. Uh, and then uh, eventually... Roots of Faith moved into a storefront space and uh, developed anti-poverty programs, Bible studies, and um, ultimately launched a worshiping community in 2017. So we are one church in two locations. Our vision is building community by reconciling people with God and one another. Yeah. I love hearing about that because I think so many churches are like, oh, we want to grow. We want to reach people. Let's just start a new Sunday morning campus. And I hear from your stories in in both appointments and Mm -hmm. in both contexts that you started by listening to the community, figuring Mm -hmm. out what their needs were, just being present with them and then saying, okay, how can I show you I care about you? 
through all of these outreach ministries and just gathering to break bread together before it becomes like a regular Sunday morning routine. Do you think that's a helpful paradigm for a lot of church planters to consider? Yes. And just a you know, little shout out, we got pretty uh, quickly connected with Path One, uh, resourcing us back at Connect Church and um, also our um, annual conference uh, congregational development person, Amy Wagner. Woo-hoo! I uh, know Amy. She was my boss yes. in college. She's <laughs> awesome. She is awesome. And uh, she had just really developed this culture of, of listening to the community. Um, let's stop going and thinking we know what the community needs best. Uh, we haven't always done that perfectly because even when you're trying, you still have trouble getting outside of your own bias and your own perspective. But I think uh, at Roots of Faith, uh, we really have listened to the community. Um, an example right now, the uh, community neighborhood organization developed a, uh, a vision document, listening to the community, developing a vision for uh, economic sustainability, environmental improvements. And uh, recently, Roots of Faith has just decided we are going to get on board with supporting that vision um, and really out- arranging our outreach around what the community has already decided um, rather than reinventing the wheel. So I'm excited to, to make that a reality. Wow. Now, I know a lot of pastors are um, that I've spoken to are really wanting their congregations to be more outward focused, to get to know their community, figure out what those needs are so that they can relate and connect in meaningful ways. It sounds like you have had really supportive congregations that have gotten behind this. Any tips or suggestions that you can offer to those? Um, I mean, should a pastor, if the congregation is like, absolutely no, we don't want a prayer walk, we don't want to reach it, what should they try to involve that congregation or just kind of go out and follow that call while ministering to the existing congregation? I would say um, I was there for the very initial phase in Blairsville, so I can speak to that. And we were very open in our in my first year to the answer being no. Um, just because the bishop and cabinet had said we'd like to see a new church stand, uh, start, um, we were still listening uh, truly for the Holy Spirit to say, no, this is not going to be fruitful. And um, But it wasn't going to be an easy no. So we were going to have the conversations. And I think what really got us going was um, getting a few key leaders on board. Um, so so talking to those folks uh, who, who once you develop a relationship, uh, you could just really see that they had a, a heart for... Um, not just their church surviving, but the kingdom of God flourishing in their area. And once they had that heart and you could just um, really listen to them and, and let them take the lead. And, um, you know, maybe there's some other model that I would have preferred. But, uh, for example, addiction recovery was something that that the existing church leaders just really identified. And we said, you know, you can do something about that. There's this model called Celebrate Recovery. You know, we can we can pull that in. They said, really, you think we can do this? And we said, yeah, you guys are awesome. You could do it. And uh, so once we had that core team of leaders, uh, then it was just a matter of being very intentional. You know, we developed a video where those leaders were recorded, you know, telling their vision and um, and then just tried to to get the whole congregation. And we didn't get everybody. Uh, there's a certain group that just said, nope, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on my church. And we said, that's OK. If you want to focus on your church, that's fine. Um, but we're also going to plant a new church in this community. So um, it was it was successful. Yeah, it wow. was a good, good model. 
Um, okay, so this may be way too soon, <laughs> and I don't want to put you on the spot at all, but when I hear your story, I think a lot of this pilgrimage that we've been on, mm-hmm. this early Methodism pilgrimage yeah. of empowering and equipping the lady yeah. to go out and start new faith communities. Mm-hmm. And and for those of you who are listening in, you know, we started in New York City at John Street a few days ago and then moved on to Ocean Grove, New Jersey and Asbury Park, and then on to Philadelphia, where we spent time at St. George's, Mother Bethel, Tinley Temple, um, met with the pastor of Mother Zor and Arch Street before heading on to Baltimore today where at and New Windsor where we were at Strawbridge Shrine and then at Lovely Lane. So in thinking through this pilgrimage, which has like officially ended as of what an hour ago. So it's all really fresh. Um, any Anything that you learned or experienced or saw or witnessed on this pilgrimage that you're going to take with you that you want to share with those who are tuning in with us? I don't know that I have a well-polished answer, um, and this is more maybe broad than specific, but I think um, what I'm taking away from this journey is um, to pay sort of equal attention to our successes and our failures. Mm. Um, I've noticed uh, throughout uh, the tour that each of the museums is more likely to celebrate their successes. Um, I think there's been several of the sites we've visited that have uh, acknowledged our history of racism and success systemic racism, uh, sexism, and other forms of exclusion. Um, But I think for us to learn uh, what the United Methodist Church needs right now, uh, we can absolutely draw on our best. So lay empowerment and uh, innovation and flexibility, adaptability, willingness to rebel and and not always follow the status quo or even follow the discipline. but uh, there needs to be, you know, a real hard look at our failures or else we'll keep repeating them. And so that is my hope um, in my local context. Our, our, our vision is building community by reconciling people with God and, other, and one another. And that, that um, to, to me, the key word there is reconciling. So um, the folks in our community who are upper income are, uh, are being blessed more than the folks who are lower income as they come into relationships. So it's not me in a position of power coming and helping you and patting myself on the back. Mm. It's flipping the script and saying like, I need to encounter Jesus um, by coming to this meal and sitting down and eating and listening. I need you as much as you need me. Yes. And crossing those lines of differences and, uh, you know, reaching out and getting to know somebody who's, you know, queer or trans and really listening to their story, uh, not just, you know, relegating them to a letter and an acronym and and truly empowering and listening and, and putting people in positions of power who've been marginalized. So I think if the United Methodist Church can just have the courage to look at what we've done wrong and how our structures, including our church planting methods that go to where the white people with money are sometimes, um, I think if we can learn from that, uh, that we can really take a lot into the future. That's amazing. There's my answer. Thank you. Love it. <laughs> it sounds very polished to me, Scott. There you go. <laughs> um, well, I'm so grateful to have met you, you yeah. know, years ago in St. Simon's, Georgia and reconnect here Good. on the Eastern Seaboard this week and and have your story to share with those who might be in a similar position just wondering what to do next. So if you have questions for Scott or suggestions about other people that should be on this podcast, then feel free to reach out to me. I can connect you with next steps. My email address is rgilmore at us mcdiscipleship.org. But again, thank you so much for your time. I'm excited. Thank you, Rachel. Next time our paths uh, cross, because I'm sure it's going to happen. It's <laughs> it's United Methodism. It's going to happen. It's on. All right. Thanks, All right, Rachel. Take care. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. 
visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.